13th chapter, the writer, as all good preachers, if I can say it this way, has now come to his points of application. And he's applying the, the exhortation in a very pointed way. And what he says here very simply is this, is that we are to remember strangers and we are to remember sufferers. Those who we come in contact with, but who we share a like common faith, even though they may be strangers, we are to entertain them, the, the, uh, the writer says. But more particularly to our point today, the writer says that we are to remember those who are in bonds and who suffer adversity. Those who are being afflicted for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so again, today, this November, this, uh, this 5th of November, what I want to do, seeing that this organization, the Voice of the Martyrs, has set this day aside as a day for the church universal to pray for the suffering church. I want to set this passage of scripture before you. And I want to implore you. I want to plead with you. I want to ask that you and I would be praying for those who right now are suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ for no greater crime than doing what we are doing right now. They've had the boldness to publicly own Jesus Christ and for that they are suffering. Can we come on a Sunday morning and not be mindful of them? Can we go to prayer in the morning or in the evening and not be mindful of them? You see our brothers and sisters for Christ. They need and they desire our prayers. Well, by way of the introduction to this theme, what I want to do is I want to ask you to consider three points with me. <clears throat> and the three points are as follows. Consider, first of all, first of all the following passages. The passage that uh, Charlie read for us from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5. Another passage, John chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. Second Timothy 3, 12. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Second Thessalonians 1, verses 3 and 4. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you toward each other abounds, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing Happened unto you. So the first point I'm asking you to consider with me, just by way of introduction, is to consider the passages of Scripture that bring before us the reality of suffering for the cause of Christ. The second point I want you to consider with me by way of introduction is these facts. <clears throat> In the 2,000 years of the Christian faith, about 70 million believers have been killed for their faith. And about 60% of those deaths have occurred in the 20th century. According to the World Evangelical Alliance, over 200 million Christians in at least 60 countries are in some way, shape, or form denied fundamental human rights solely because of their faith. David Barrett and Todd Johnson, in their 2009 report in the International Bulletin of Missionary Research, estimate that approximately 176,000 Christians will have been martyred from mid-2008 to mid-2009. This, according to the authors, compares to 160,000 martyrs in mid-2000, 34,000 at the beginning of the 20th century. So you see the, the persecution and the oppression is increasing. 
According to these gentlemen, if current trends continue, by 2025, an average of 210,000 Christians will be martyred annually. 65, again, over 60% of all Christians have been martyred in the 20th century. If we consider these facts and if we break them down, we will find the following. If we take an average of 159,000 uh, Christians worldwide being martyred for their faith, that will equal 438 of our brothers and sisters a day. 18 per hour. And it is 25 minutes after 10. Five since this service has begun. One every four to five minutes. So I asked you to consider with me those, those facts. So consider the passages, consider the facts. Thirdly, I ask you to consider with me these quotes. <clears throat> a State Department report written in 1997, so you see how dated this is. A State Department report states that Christians have become the most persecuted group in the world and that over 250 million Christians have been attacked, threatened, or even murdered for just wanting to live as Christians. In some countries of the Middle East, Christians have been murdered. And again, this is a report based in a Washington Times article dated August 18, 1997. Christians are being sold into slavery. Some are being thrown in prison. Some are, are being tortured. Many are being killed. We must do everything we can in our dealings with other countries to end these practices. This was written by a former, this was spoken by a former senator from Oklahoma. Some of you might remember the name, a senator by the name of Don Nichols. And again, this is, this is all dated information. The last quote is... Uh, taken from J.C. Ryle, and he says this, he says, the servant of Christ must never be surprised if he is to drink the same cup with which our Lord himself had to drink. So what is persecution? In one sense, it's one of those words that don't need to find, right? We, we kind of know and understand what persecution is, but let me give you something of a definition here. Persecution is the suffering or the pressure, both uh, of men either mental, moral, physical, which authorities, individuals, or crowds inflict upon others, especially for opinions or beliefs, with a view to their subjection by recantation, silencing, or as a last resort, execution. The importance of the subject of the of persecution is indicated by the frequent use of terms, both in the Old and New Testament. Well, as I said before, these facts are staggering, and they call for a biblical response on our part. And as such, and since this day has been designated as the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church by the voice of the martyrs, it is my desire as your pastor to bring to your remembrance our suffering brothers and sisters throughout the world who are harassed, persecuted, and imprisoned, even put to death for what we are doing here this morning. How will we ever stand before our Lord and next to our brothers and sisters in Christ when we all meet before the throne on that glorious day and have to say to them, oh, by the way, we never prayed for you in your sufferings. What would that be like? So again, this passage of scripture. And again, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. And which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Well, I've already given you something of an introduction to this book. Uh, what we're seeing here is that, again, the writer is, uh, is very much insistent upon showing forth the excellency of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful theme, is it not? The excellency of our Lord Jesus Christ to show how over and over again, whatever we may have seen in the past by way of God's gracious revelation to humanity, it, it is crowned in the person of Jesus Christ. 
But this embrace of Jesus Christ and this embrace of the gospel was not without peril in that in the first century, even as it is now. Excuse me. It's very interesting. I was I was looking at a uh, at uh, different resources and I came across something of an older sermon on persecution. And the author, as he, or the, the the preacher, as he was beginning to to lay out the introduction to the sermon, had to use words something like this: that you know, when you look back at the first days of Christianity, we found that in many cases, our brothers and sisters had to suffer. All speaking in the past tense. And the sermon was written in the, 18, in the 19th century, in the 1800s. So it was written in the 19th century, a day in which Christianity was really, really much, you know, we might say from our perspective, alive and well. Well, persecuting days are upon us again. And persecuting days may still yet be in the future for this church and for the church of Jesus Christ in, 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 uh, throughout the world. And so we need to be having these things uh, before our minds. And we need to remember that even, on the, even in the first days of the preaching of the gospel, there was the, this very challenge of embracing Christ even in the face of persecution. The writer of Hebrews brings out two passages of scripture where this was the case. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 and 34. He writes as follows, But call to remembrance the former days, in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great, flight of, uh, a great fight of afflictions. Partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them which were so used. For you had compassion on me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing that in yourselves you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. You see what's happening here. You see the persecution here wasn't death upon it wasn't immediate death upon profession of faith in Jesus Christ. It was this long process of of having goods taken away, of making your situation more and more difficult, of kind of pinching you in and saying, "Okay, if you're going to confess Christ in this in in this culture, this is what it's going to cost you." And individuals in the, in the first century had to experience that. And we know brothers and sisters in our own century are experiencing that as well. In Hebrews 13, uh, le- le- uh, later on in this chapter, uh, the writer says this, Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. Now what does the writer mean here? The writer again was writing to Hebrew Christians. Those who were coming out of Old Testament Judaism, those who were coming out of the Jewish system that had become corrupted, uh, you know, uh, uh, over the years, and to leave that system was to leave at a cost. But what does the writer of Hebrews say? Let us go outside without the camp bearing his reproach. If if Christ is outside the camp, then outside the camp is where the church wants to be. And so again, the writer of Hebrews is warning and, and reminding them of the persecution that they experienced. And so what I want to do is I I want to draw to your attention here from this passage of Scripture, verse 3 of Hebrews 13, the following reality. Number one, that we are to, again, remember those who are suffering with Christ. As a matter of fact, if I can put it before you formally, I would say this, that the doctrine of this passage of Scripture is as follows, that it is the duty of every Christian to remember and to identify with those who suffer for Christ. It is a duty. Again, there's a sense in which the writer of Hebrews, when he says, remember, he is placing a duty upon us. Remember those who suffer. Remember those who are in affliction. Remember those who are in bonds for the sake of the gospel. And so again, this is not a mere request that he is making. This is a duty that's being pressed upon us. Now, why is this important that we, that we bring to our thinking this, this reality of a suffering church and the, and, the, and the importance of our praying for them? I would say four things make us think along these lines. 
Number one, we are, so, we are prone to be so self-absorbed that we oftentimes forget the troubles of others, do we not? We're so concerned about what's happening in my life and here, here and now, today, that we forget about others. But the scriptures won't let us do that. Secondly, the reality that accompanies the reception of the gospel is that all those who profess it will know that trial, tribu- trouble, and tribulation are oftentimes part of the gospel. So in other words, like Peter says, it's not some strange thing that you should suffer for the cause of Christ. It's part and parcel of the gospel message. And isn't this one of the most damning elements about the, uh, the, the prosperity gospel in our day? We hear these prosperity preachers, and I was listening to, 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 to one just this past week. A friend of mine had asked me to, to, to listen to him, and I'm listening, and, and when it's all said and done, I thought to myself, this preaching was all about me. The man was, was all about how God is doing this for me, and, God, and I, does God do things for his people? He absolutely does. But when preaching takes its primary focus as what I can get out of it, it's orientated in the wrong way. Brothers and sisters, you are here for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so again, we are prone to think along these lines. Thirdly, the church is in organic unity. And so that if one member suffers, we all suffer. Even as Christ, as the head of the church, suffers. The repeated emphasis, to, uh, and fourthly, the repeated emphasis uh, to enter into the suffering of others and given to us in, in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 15 and other places. Weep with those who weep. Or we're weeping with our brothers and sisters as they see their husband or their children or their wives carried off in the jail. I remember, this is going back years, I remember uh, reading where, where in, in one village uh, people came back and they found the loved ones nailed to the door, nailed to the door of their homes, suffering for the cause of Christ. And here we are, not even thinking of them. Could, could, should this be? Of course it shouldn't be. So we need to be reminded over and over again of our suffering brethren. And so what I want to do today from this passage of Scripture is I want to develop it along three lines. Number one, I I want to point out uh, by way of asking your consideration of our suffering brethren. Secondly, I want you to consider our duty toward them. And thirdly, I want us to consider our identity with them. So number one, our suffering brethren, brothers and sisters. Number two, our duty toward them. And then number three, our identity with them. Well, let's take a look then at our first point. And that is our suffering brethren. Look at here what, um, what the writer says in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse uh, 3. Remember them that are in bonds. And what the writer here is talking about is, again, that there are some who are afflicted in such a way as to even be in jail for their faith in Jesus Christ. And when he says, remember them, that's really the key thrust that he's making. He's calling upon us to always have them in mind. But when he says, remember them, the thing I want you to know and understand is this, is that throughout the world on this day, throughout the world, there are those who suffer for the cause of Christ. And those who suffer are oftentimes men, women, and children. Boys and girls sometimes suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Again, some of the facts that I was trying to draw together for the sermon, we read the following. Each day, more than uh, uh, um, uh, more than 200 million uh, Christians face uh, some type of persecution. Now, again, we have to be careful how we define persecution. Sometimes it's, it's just uh, it's, it's, it's what we would consider maybe slight persecution. Other times it's very, uh, you know, very heavy persecution persecution even up to the point of death but in some way shape or form there are difficulties being experienced for the cause of Christ and the writer goes on to say that 60% of those who suffer are children so again this is not something that only affects the elderly or or adults sometimes even our children suffer for the cause of Christ and what we are seeing here is the reality of 
Christian suffering. Now, what's interesting to say, to see, and what's in, and what needs to be said is that even when, as we give uh, an emphasis uh, to suffering on a day like today, we should not lose sight of the fact. And this may almost sound as is as, as, as being, you know, almost like a, a, a disjunction, so to speak. We should not forget the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ promises true blessing to his people, does he not? I think you might remember that when we spoke, I, I forget what passage of scripture I was preaching on at the time, but I, I purposely referenced a book that was written by Matthew Henry. You remember The Pleasantness of a Religious Life, the title of that book? And in that book, he, it's, it's something of a development of Psalm 144, verse 15. Happy is that people that is in such a place, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And you might say to me, well, how can a person be happy if that person also is suffering persecution? Well, again, what I want to say to you is this. Do not lose this promise. There is blessing for the people of God. But that blessing may sometimes involve that blessing which enables us to say that we leave the place of persecution happy that we were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And so there are blessings for the people of God, blessings that maybe this world might not understand. Oh, but the blessings that when, that when we are in heaven, we will certainly understand. And so again, this idea of suffering should not overshadow the reality that God does bless his people. He does do good to them, but sometimes he elevates them and calls them to suffer for his name. Sometimes he elevates them and calls them to glorify them in their broken bodies. And so again, and we, what are we to do? We're to pray for them. We're to keep them in prayer. Again, we, we see, again, the, the reminders over and over again of the fact that the church of Jesus Christ will, will suffer for, for the cause of Christ. And Paul, in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, he, we read the following, that he was confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we, through much tribulation, must enter into the kingdom of God. And therefore, I bring you back to my, to my doctrine, to the primary point that we're making, that this passage of Scripture sets before us the duty to remember those who are suffering for the cause of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just one more thing before we enter into the passage a little more fully. Do you know that it's very possible that it's very possible that there are people in the world today who have spent more time in prison, who have spent more days in prison for the cause of Christ than we in our lives have spent in a church. Have you ever thought about that? You and I go to church twice a week, maybe. Maybe we're there for the Sunday morning service and the evening service and then the Wednesday service, three times a week, maybe. Well, there are those who very possibly, very possibly have spent more times behind bars for the cause of Christ than you and I have spent in church for the cause of Christ. You see, let us remember our suffering brothers and sisters. And so when, the, so when the writer says, remember them that are in bonds, he's speaking specifically of those who are in prison. And again, when we look in the word of God, we see that there are those who, who again, were in prison for the cause of Christ. We, in the Old Testament, we see Daniel in prison, do we not? We see Jeremiah in prison, do we not? We see John the Baptist in prison. We see the Apostle Paul in prison. The Lord Jesus Christ was taken, again, and, and not, he didn't spend time in prison, but he was before the magistrates. And so we see here the need to remember our brothers and sisters. Also, what we see here is this, is not only are we to remember those who are in bonds, those who are in prison, but even those who are in adversity or affliction. Look here again in verse 3. Remember them that are in bonds as being bound with them when which suffer adversity. 
Now, again, the idea of adversity kind of picks up all those thoughts of affliction, of difficulty, of pressure, of social stigmatization that takes place, all because of an identity with Jesus Christ. And what the the writer of Hebrews is saying is this, that it is our duty not to forget them either. You know, let me ask you the question. Have you ever been in an awkward situation at work where where somebody was kind of getting the the, the short end of the stick because of their stand for Christ? And where were you and I when that was happening? Were we just the silent observers to this? Or were we, we, if nothing else, standing with our brother and sister who was going through that difficult time? You see, there are ways that we can identify with those who just may be stigmatized. What if we were to hear in our day where one of the, the churches that maybe we don't uh, uh, see eye to eye with on every doctrinal issue, but we're truly coming un, un, under oppression or under, 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 uh, under difficulty for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would we be silent at that? Or would we identify with them in their cause for Christ? You see, the scripture calls us again to remember. And this, this brings us to not only what we must be doing by way of remembering, this remembering actually becomes a duty. And the duty kind of uh, concerning this word remember, we really have to develop it. Because the word remember doesn't mean on one Sunday out of the year have a sermon about the persecuted church. That's not what it means. To remember those who are in bonds means to be mindful of them. To be thinking of them in such a way that throughout our day we are not forgetting of their difficulties. To maybe so train our mind as to think when I get hungry at 12 o'clock to pray for those who are hungry at this same time but who have no meal because of faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the duty of the church is to remember. And not to remember by way of, oh yeah, I know, that, I, you know, I, I heard one day that, that all kind of people are getting, you know, being martyred for the, for the cause of Christ. I heard that one day. Yeah, I remember. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about us taking up their cause, certainly by way of prayer, but also by way of action as well. And so our duty toward them is to remember, to think upon them, to think upon them in such a way as to, as to offer up prayer, to think upon them in such a way as to be aware that there are things that we can be doing for them, to remember and to be mindful. And what this means is that the first thing by way of our remembering is that, number one, we cannot be indifferent. And this is what this sermon is all about. The sermon is, a, is an attempt, and I don't. And again, if you, if you allow me, I, I, I don't think that this is the case for the congregation. Uh, but again, I, I can't. I, I, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to just say like nice things, so to speak. But I don't think it's the case with the congregation. But brothers and sisters, shame on us if we are not thinking about our persecuted brethren. Shame on us if we are not praying for them. Shame on us if we are not asking ourselves the question, how can we better serve those who are suffering for the cause of Christ? And can I say this to you? I I, I said this before you as your pastor. Think these things through. Pray these things through. Bring these things back. And say, can we do this or can we do that? The things that we can do for the cause of Christ in this world for our brothers and sisters. And so number one, we won't be indifferent. Number two, we will not be without compassion in this matter. Again, how hard-headed could we be? How short-sighted could we be? One day you will be sitting next to a brother or sister who will be bearing in their body. And again, I'm not saying this to be funny. Probably not in their resurrected body. But in, in, in the sense that in, in, in this early, earthly body, they will be bearing scars for Christ. And we will not sympathize with them. We will not enter compassionately into, the, into their situation. God forbid. I think the most important thing that we can do, however, is to pray. 
Even before I move on to, to, to the idea of praying for them, stop and think of, of what a beautiful thing compassion and pity is to the sufferer. Listen to, listen to, uh, to what the writer says. The writer himself says, he says, you had compassion on me and my bond in, in, in Hebrews 10.34. It meant a lot to him. As he was writing to them, he was able to say to them, listen, you were there with me. There I was in bonds. I was in, I was in chains for Christ. And you were not ashamed of me. You did not turn. You, did, you, you didn't do one of those things where when the trouble came, you just, you just conveniently turned your eyes as though you didn't see you. Have you ever done that? I hate to say this. There's the, the, I remember specifically a time in, in, uh, in, in the prison, the, 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 there was the, the, the movement. And, um, and one of the men, one of the men from my study was called aside. Now, that's a, that's a very normal thing because the, the men have to be checked. They're checked randomly. But my brother made eye contact with me and I very, very conveniently turned my eyes from That was wrong. He was only being frisked. The, the, the institution was doing what it has every right to do, what it has every responsibility to do. But I couldn't join eyes with that man in that moment. That was wrong. We do that, don't we? Conveniently. Oh, oh didn't really see that, did I? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that you were going through it. Come on. And so again, this idea of sympathy, this idea of compassion... Psalm 629, 69, uh, verse 20. I've looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. May that never be laid at our feet on that day when we stand next to brothers and sisters who suffered for Christ. I looked for some to take pity, and there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. And again, this brings us to the most important thing, as I was saying, it's this thing of prayer. And we see this in, in, in Acts chapter 12, don't, uh, don't we? When Peter was, was taken and arrested, Acts chapter 12, verse 5, there, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing uh, of the church unto God for him. And this is what we see. This is what, the, this is what our brothers and sisters desire of us. Listen again to, to um, some of the things that the men who have put together this, uh, this day of prayer, what they've said, and, and, and just bear with me as I read this. The first thing that the persecuted church, excuse me, the first thing that the persecuted Christians ask us to do when our Voice of the Martyrs staff travel around the world and when we sit down with them, we meet with Christians facing persecution. They, we say this to them. We're going back to America. How can American Christians help you? The first thing they ask is pray for us. Please pray for us. And the writer goes on, the power of prayer is clear throughout the Bible. And he gives an exhortation to pray. But then he goes on to say this. When it comes to the suffering, a tendency can be to focus our prayers on an end to their suffering. While not a bad thing to pray for, we've, we have found, the, the writers of this article, says that our persecuted Christian brothers and sisters tend to have a different perspective on suffering and faith. For them, the challenging thing is that their prayer request is not pray that we won't have to suffer anymore but pray or, or pray that our government will change and we will suddenly be free. Their prayer request is pray that we will be faithful to Christ no matter what the cost. This is what they're asking for us. And when the writer of Hebrews says, remember those who are in bond, the way we remember them is yes, by things like this, but even more by praying for them. That these men and women will have our prayers. These boys and girls will have our prayers. You've seen the, you've seen the Barnabas aid prayers. And so many times they have pictures of these little kids. All of them. <laughs> and I'm not one to say like that every little kid is a cute little kid. But there are cute little kids on those pages, aren't there? 
And we see them and one of them, they're suffering for Christ. And we ought not to forget them. So again, we ought to be praying for them. We ought to be assisting them as well. In other words, our sympathy is to be put in action. We're to give when we can. We're to visit where we can. And again, we see this as well in the words of the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy 1.8 Be thou therefore not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me as prisoner, he says. Again, going on in, in verse 15, Thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. And there was Paul, again, was he left languishing by himself in his prison. What a sad thing for a Christian to have to suffer for Christ alone. And may we have the kind of boldness, and may we have the kind of clarity of spiritual eyesight to see and to understand that our brothers and sisters are to be stood with and to be identified with. And again, this is not only for those who are in prison, but those who are in adversity as well. Those who are suffering hardships for the cause of Christ. We're to remember them. Again, we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 and 38, Others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. And others, in other words, some were mocked, some were whipped, some were imprisoned. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain, well, uh, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, alienated, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. You see, not all persecution ends in jail. Not all persecution ends in death. Sometimes life is just very, very, very difficult to go through because you refuse to give up faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we are in our blessed circumstances, to turn a deaf ear is is worse than criminal. It's sinful. To turn a blind eye is sinful. How can we be honoring our Lord and Savior when those who are suffering for His name will not even have our help or support or our prayers? May God help us. And so this idea of adversity, again, the things that we've already said, difficulties, hardship. Well, the other thing I want you to see from this passage of Scripture is that this passage sets before us not only what our duty is, it sets before us the way in which we are to engage this duty. This is really something worth seeing here. The writer says this, Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which, which suffer adversity as being yourselves in the body. In other words, what the writer is, do, is doing, he is asking us, he is calling us, commanding us, we might say, that when we think of our brothers and sisters, we do it in such a way as that we identify ourselves with them in their suffering. So that their suffering isn't just something that we are curious about, Excuse me, their suffering is something in one sense that is present in front of us. We will not lose sight of our brother or sister going through his difficulty. That's what the writer of Scripture is calling, that's what the writer of Hebrews is calling us to do. To understand and to consider this idea as a living reality, which it is. Again, he says, remember them as being bound with them. You ever stop and think again what it would be like, as I said before, to... To, to go through life with this idea that you, that you are very much restricted or, or to not be able to leave your house or not to be able to freely take up what you want or not to be able to listen freely to what you would want to listen to because you are in prison. And this, was the, and this is what the writer of, uh, of this passage of Scripture is calling us to, to do, to, be, to remember them as being bound with them or as being in the body. Now, this is kind of interesting because what we're seeing here is that the writer is picking up on a very important theme, and that is our union with one another in Jesus Christ. We oftentimes speak about our union with Christ, and rightly so. We are one with Christ, but we are also one with Christ as a body. 
when we celebrate the, the Lord's Supper here today, our communion will be with the risen Lord and with one another. There is a communion that we have in the church of Jesus Christ, one with another. And if one member of the body suffer, the Bible tells, tells us all suffer. And so what the, what the writer is saying is when you remember your brothers and sisters, remember in this fashion, keep before you their suffering. And so this is the way the duty is laid out for us. And so we are to feel deep comp- compassion for them. We are to remember them in our prayers and we are to do whatever we can in order to alleviate their difficulty. And again, what this reminds us of when, when, when the writer says, as if bound with them or as suffering with them, I think this is a very important, maybe corrective, I might say, or, or something that, uh, that makes sure that we are not entering into these things just by way of, uh, just by way of Christian duty. Now, don't get me wrong. Should you engage a Christian duty for the sake of a Christian duty, do it. But understand, that's not the way that you are called to a Christian duty. Did you ever stop and think of what it would be like if you were in a situation of need and somebody who had the ability to help you came and fulfilled that need in a very cold and uncaring way that was doing it just so that that could be off of today's checklist, you've increased that person's mental stress. Bad enough he's in the situation, but now you, quote-unquote, have alleviated the situation by reminding him that he's in a situation where he's in absolute need for you to do it. You've put more pressure on him. It's bad enough he's in the situation. Now you have to make him feel even worse by doing this in an uncaring way. How about identifying with him? How about, again, seeing yourself as one with him in the suffering? And so what we have to see and what we have to understand is that when we fulfill our duties that are laid out before us here in the scripture, and though they are duties and though they must be done, we must do it in a very caring and a very compassionate way. Oh, what would it be like if there you were, haven't eaten in days, and somebody comes to help you in the name of Christ and he throws a bowl of whatever in front of you? You'd be grateful for whatever he threw in front of you, wouldn't it? But what kind of a way is that to do the work of the gospel? And so we see then this idea of identifying with our brothers and sisters who suffer for the cause of Christ. And what the writer is calling us to is, is, is to realize our union that we have with them. And our union in one sense is, is, is a threefold union. Number one, as I've already mentioned, it, it's a spiritual union. It's that union that we have with Jesus Christ and with one another in the body. Number two, it's a sympathetic union. It's a union that's not going to overlook the idea that, hey, that could just as easily, in the providence of God, be me suffering for the cause of Christ. And, and, and again, we have, to, we have to truly sympathize with those who are suffering. But also, if there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a union and in, in a common interest in the gospel. And so we have every reason to see ourselves being identified with those who suffer for the cause of Christ. Well, this leads us to the, to the question, then, what should we be doing? Well, I think, in one sense, this has already been made clear. Number one, we're to remember them in a way to where we see them as being here with us this morning. You see our suffering brothers and sisters here with us. Oh, what can we do for our suffering brothers and sisters? Number two, I think it should cause us, if nothing else, to, 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 to be there for them. To be there for them. You've heard the, you've heard the, the expression... You know, half of life is just showing up. 
We, we spoke about that uh, last week. Uh, uh, Mary Lou, if you don't mind me saying, we spoke about that last week. Didn't we? Just showing up sometimes, that's half, the, that, that's, half the, that's half the job. Just be there. Just be there for your brother or sister. And then, and, and, and then also, in addition to that, do something. There's something that you can do for, for, uh, uh, for them. And then thirdly, pray. You see, prayer, again, is this mighty weapon that God has given to his church in order that, the, in, in order that the, the people of God might work to alleviate the difficulty of their brothers and sisters. Well, let me, let me just close out with, with this some, somewhat uh, extended uh, uh, quotation here. The, these acts call for our self-identification with our fellow Christians. In one sense, this self-identification is something akin to what we might call our common humanity. A consideration for those who suffer and a sense of our identifying uh, with them in the pain that others must feel when they experience uh, difficulties inflicted upon them. We would be coming far short of the basis of our mutual identity and sympathy if we stopped at the level of only remembrance and sympathy. Let us not forget that it is our brethren who are in bonds and suffering affliction. It is our brethren whose souls Christ has purchased with his, with his own blood, whose souls are precious to him, who make up that bride that he loves that he loves and is purifying. These are the ones that we are called to remember and sympathize with. Our remembrance and sympathy then is not on the basis of our common humanity, as important as that is. And again, you understand what I'm trying to say here. We would be something less than human if we can look at the suffering of another human being and not be moved by it. But how much more when that human being is our brother in Christ? And again, what I'm calling you to is not to a common humanity. I'm calling you to a shared gospel experience in Christ. This remembrance and sympathy ought to flow from within us when we think that our brothers and sisters who are imprisoned for Christ and afflicted for his sake hold to the same faith that we do. They are maltreated because Christ is as precious to them as he is to you. The longing that you have deep within you to live a life pleasing to God is as deep within them as well. And while they are mostly left alone because of the things our brother because of the and because of these things our brethren are hunted down, how can we forget them? How can we ignore their plight? How can we neglect to pray for them? And so this is what this day is all about. This day in which we call to remembrance brothers and sisters who are suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, we can't leave this passage, we can't leave this sermon, we can't leave this passage of Scripture without considering the person of our Savior. And you know the person of our Savior he looks very tenderly on those who suffer for his name's sake, doesn't he? And he identifies with them very intimately, doesn't he? And you remember what he said in that passage of scripture that we all know. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto them, And says, Much as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Is it too much to say that Christ is suffering today? in the body of his church. Now don't get me wrong, Christ is at the right hand of the Father exalted. But his body here on earth, there are those who are suffering. And will we turn a blind eye to those who our Lord says, whatsoever you did to the least of them, you've done to me. Brothers and sisters, what will we do for our Lord in the coming days, coming weeks, and coming months? May God give us grace to take up this call seriously, to remember, to be there, to sympathize, to pray. Let us pray.
Our Father and our God, we do ask that you would give us grace to to remember those whom you have called in your providence and in your grace to bear witness for Jesus Christ, even in the sufferings of their bodies. Father, these things are sometimes inconceivable to us. We live with so little opposition to the gospel. We live with ease that marks a freedom that we are very, very grateful for. And while, Father, I would not make light of any of those who are here today who may have undergone difficulties, who may have lost jobs, who may be ostracized from families, who may be no longer welcome in a particular circle of friends. And as difficult as these things are, Father, how much more for our brothers and sisters who are in bonds at this time and who are suffering severe adversity. Father, help us to be a church that is mindful of these things. Help us to be a church that brings you glory by being obedient in these things. Help us to be a church that is willing to identify with your people in this fallen world, in this place and at this time. Grant these things we pray, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name.